Welcome to episode 93 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, another deep sky tour. This time we're going to look at a few different constellations. I think I changed them since I put it in the meeting note headline, but I did give Shane a heads up that, uh, that we're going to talk about Canis Major. We're going to talk about uh, Canis Minor a little bit because it's just a little constellation and we're going to talk about Monoceros and uh, maybe a couple other things. Uh, I'm Chris. Joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we love looking up at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So these are kind of like, I always think of that Simpsons episode when I do these constellations. It's kind of like uh, in the Simpsons when they did the lesser known president song. And this is kind of like the lesser known <laughs> constellation. So that that's kind of playing in my in my mind while we're while we're doing this, uh, this podcast. So, um, yeah. So the last time, Shane, we did one of these uh, deep sky tours, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I just kind of wrote this down without referencing it. I should have done that. But, you know, we do this for fun. We're not, we're not professionals or anything. We're amateurs. So we did, I think we did Orion, Taurus, and then was it Perseus? Yes. Yeah, I think okay. that's right. Yep. So, so in that podcast, we moved from Orion to the Northwest, right? So we go uh, Orion, we talked about the belt, we talked about the Orion Nebula, we talked about uh, stars and clusters and nebula that are in the Orion constellation. And then we went up and to the right or to the Northwest and we did Taurus and then Northwest again, I think-ish. Anyway, North, we went to Perseus. This time we're gonna go in the opposite direction. We're gonna go from Orion and then we're gonna go down to Canis Major, which is to the southeast. And then we're going to kind of meander around a little bit. <laughs> we're going to talk we about Eridanus a little bit too. And that is, of oh. course, the constellation of the Great River. So I'm going to, I'm playing my presentation here. I don't know if you need to see this while I do this. Should I share this with you? Uh, I can also just keep pace on my side, whatever you want. Doesn't matter. I'm on the wrong slide. <laughs> let me see maybe i should share this with you that would probably be better and then you can then you can just follow along the bouncing ball how does that sound oh love it yeah all right we will get there in a moment maybe you should ad lib for a second while i <laughs> move ahead well there we go there we go. Oh, I'm not. I'm not an ad, ad libber to space, so I, I struggle there. Unless I have balls to juggle. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Well, we won't. Uh, we won't throw you any. Uh, what, what are the things? The uh, bowling pins or anything like that. All right. Yeah. So, so the the thing to draw everybody's attention to at first is the constellation of Orion, the Hunter, and we're going to start there because that should be a constellation everybody knows about. If uh, if you want a good star chart. Uh, can't recommend this website enough. It's it's a free resource. You can download a star chart there every month. I uh, We have no connection with them, but I've used them for years for my astronomy class and really appreciate the work that they do as a volunteer astronomy educator. They say that we can use these and uh, certainly I recommend it, uh, is the skymaps.com website. So you go to skymaps.com and then they, they sell some stuff like books and different things on there. Again, I have no affiliation. I have, I think I have bought a book or two on there either that they recommend or I linked through their affiliate link and bought it because it uh, looked like an interesting book. And I think they probably get a buck or something when you do that. And I thought, man, that's a, that's a great website and a great resource. So 
uh, I have used it quite a bit and it, uh, it's a reputable place to get great astronomical information. And uh, if you go there and download the star chart, you'll see in these evening skies, or if you go out and look south and up from south, eventually you'll see these three stars that are close together and that's Orion's belt. So you kind of need to know where Orion is. And if, if you don't and you want to know more information, you can go back about a month and listen to our, uh, our deep sky tour of Orion, Taurus, and Perseus. And that will give you uh, a good fix on that. So if we move from Orion and go down and to the left, Shane, there's a really bright star that we see. And what constellation is that star in? Uh, you're talking about... Sirius and it's in Canis Major and we talked hmm. quite a bit about Sirius in the last episode uh, that it's a you know a fair one of the more challenging double stars to split and mm -hmm. uh, it's on a lot of people's bucket list and uh, um, I think you and I are both you know fingers crossed hoping to attempt observing it maybe this week yeah yeah hopefully if uh, if we get some warmer and clear weather yeah, that'd be great. So when you, when you go out on these uh, sort of mid to late winter evenings, Sirius is going to be, uh, or Sirius, depending on how you say it, is going to be at the meridian, which means it's at the highest point. But here, like in Saskatchewan, we are, we're fairly far north. So it's going to be just sort of clearing the houses sort of at the, at the end of my street when, when I look down my street um, to the south. And uh, certainly if you're further north, it's going to be even, even close to the horizon. But for those that are, that are down south, like I know Chris, they're down in, uh, in Florida, and I've, I've actually uh, observed the winter sky not, not more than 100 miles away from, from where he is, I think. Um, you will see Cirrus and Orion much higher in the sky because, you know, they're, they're about 30 degrees uh, further south than we are, give or take. So, so Shane, do you want to talk about uh, Cirrus the dog star or Sirius the dog star? Yeah, so it's the brightest star in the sky. Um, well, night sky. I guess the sun is the brightest star in our sky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it is magnitude 1.46. And it's also one of the closest stars to Earth. It's uh, only 8.6 light years away, which, you know, in astronomical terms is, you know, probably right on the back step. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, it's very, it's quite close. Yeah. Um, the name comes from the Greek word for scorching or searing. So, you know, it's quite appropriate given how bright this star is in the sky. And especially for Northern observers, like it really flickers, which kind of gives it like a, like a, I don't know, sort of that, I guess maybe that searing effect. Mm -hmm. um, and as we talked about, it has a companion, uh, Sirius B, uh, a white dwarf, and that's a magnitude 8.4. Um, so just to put some context here in terms of the, the difference in brightness between A and B, uh, it's 10,000 times fainter than Sirius A mm -hmm. uh, from, from where we are on earth. So, you know, the closeness and then that difference in, in their magnitudes is what makes this such a difficult split. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sirius B is often kind of washed out in the glare of Sirius A. Um, so what you need is you know, really good seeing conditions, like a real steady atmosphere. And, and um, something else uh, that I've read, I think it was maybe, I think it was on the RASC uh, double star observing list is uh, they also recommend uh, trying it in twilight. It, mm. it kind of takes, uh, I guess, some of the potential glare away from Sirius. It doesn't appear kind of as bright, I guess, because mm. of, uh, you know, some of the background light. So 
don't know um, how much of an impact that has, but that was a recommendation I read. Hmm. Um, these two stars, though, uh, they orbit each other every 50 years, uh, and they'll be at their greatest separation um, in 2020, I guess. Um, I think it was like late 2020. Sorry, you're kind of looking at some of my notes, I know, and do an amazing job there. But uh, yeah, I think this is about the best time to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, greatest, uh, the greatest separation. So yeah, now is the time. Um, mm-hmm. what else here? Uh, the star marked the great dog's mouth on Bayer's star Atlas. Uh, uh, and then January 31st, 1862 American telescope maker and astronomer Elvin Clark first observed the faint companion, uh, which is now called Sirius B or the pup because yeah. Sirius A is just known as the dog star. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's some, uh, deep sky objects up there uh, in this area of sky as well. I think the, the most famous one uh, in, that, in that zone uh, and amongst the, the brightest is M41 or Messier 41. And maybe sometime, did, did we ever do an episode on sort of the, uh, the deep sky objects and all the discoverers and that sort of thing? If, if not, we should do one. We should sort yeah, of yeah. Put that in our we have an idea list that we keep if people have ideas they should send those to us as well um but m41 is just exactly or, or thereabouts four degrees due south or straight down towards the horizon from cirrus so if you find uh, the bright star cirrus and it's like the brightest star that you can see up there at negative 1.5 ish um right in the south these nights and you look south if you're in a dark site and there's no moon in the sky you can actually see m41 with your unaided eye uh, it is it is that bright, and it's just about half a fist width, right below uh, the bright star Cirrus. Now, if you actually read, <laughs> if you read the history of M forty one, many sources will say that it was perhaps known to Aristotle about three twenty five uh, BC. And now I take uh, take exception with that because, um, and, and I'm not going to get get too deep down into this rabbit hole. Um, but I, I did some research based on my archaeology professor's research. Um, and, and we're both in agreement that that's not accurate. Um, and, and what is probably more accurate is that uh, what, what Aristotle was observing was a set of stars that are about 10 degrees uh, further south. And I'm not going to get too far into that. But uh, but likely the first person to uh, to see M41 was uh, Giovanni Battista Hodierna uh, observing on Sicily um, sometime probably in about like the 1630s-ish. The other um, cluster that I kind of want to draw attention to, this, this is uh, not that well known, but it's really an, an interesting cluster. And that's NGC 2360. And Shane, did you ever observe this cluster? Many, many, many years ago. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I was going to say, do you remember observing? Because we observed it together. So, (laughs) so, uh, so we did, we did observe this one a number of years ago. And uh, it's actually known as Caroline's Cluster uh, because it was discovered by Carolyn Herschel uh, in February of 1783. And she described it as a beautiful cluster of pretty compressed stars near about half a degree in diameter. And uh, her notes were overlooked for a long time. 
Um, and then eventually her brother, uh, William, included it in his updated catalog of uh, a thousand clusters and nebulas. Uh, and, and he acknowledged her as, as the discoverer. So uh, that's kind of neat. So that cluster is, is sort of just sort of down in, in the lower part, but probably best to have a, have a star atlas to, uh, to take a look at that. Uh, now, those are kind of just, just two of the many beautiful clusters uh, in that region, but we're going to pop up to, or should I say pop up to Canis Minor, the, the lesser dog. And Shane, do you want to you want to give us a, a bit of a description about this uh, this other hunting dog of Orion? I will, but just before we leave Candace oh, Major, I okay. want to just draw people's attention to uh, one one double star pairing. Um, it's known as HR two seven six four. It would be northwest of Weizen, uh, which is one of the named stars in Canis Major. Um, this is known as the winter Alberio. So, mm. you know, if anybody's familiar, familiar with Alberio and Cygnus, um, it's renowned for the, the color contrast between the two stars. One is kind of blue. One is kind of orange. Uh, HR276 is a similar pair, you know, like somewhat close, but easy enough to split with most optics. Um, and the one star is, uh, you know, like kind of a crimson red or a red orange star, Hmm. And uh, the other one is um, kind of white to yellow and uh, quite pretty. So check that out um, if you're cool. into double stars. Yeah. Cool. So moving on, Canis Minor. Um, so it's a small constellation in the Northern Celestial Hemisphere. Uh, in the second century, it was included as an asterism or pattern of uh, two stars in Ptolemy's 48 constellations and is counted among the 88 modern constellations. Um, I think this one is definitely overlooked a lot, uh, mm -hmm. par particularly amongst amateur observers. Easy constellation um, to draw though. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you can draw a line, you can probably draw Canis Minor. <laughs> um, so its name in, in Latin uh, is Lesser Dog, if you, if you do the translation. Um, and in contrast to Canis Major, the Greater Dog, uh, both figures are commonly represented as following the constellation of Orion. Yeah, very cool. There's there's not that much to look at uh, in Canis Major, though. So mostly that that bright star Procyon is is really just just a pointer star, mm -hmm. and it kind of sits sort of uh, uh, between. Really, it sits between sort of north uh, eastern Canis uh, Major and and like Gemini and Cancer and that sort of thing. And it's sort of the easternmost bright star of, of that winter hexagon or, or winter circle that, that we talked about back in January. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not a lot to see there, but uh, Procyon is an interesting star. Why don't you uh, sure. give us some details there? Well, I sure will, Shane. So yeah. Procyon, or Alpha Canis Minoris, is the seventh brightest star in the sky. So kind of what it, what it lacks in anything else, it makes up for uh, by this bright Star and actually means uh, Procyon means before the dog, so it was preceding uh, uh, the the dog uh, at least in in Greek. So um, it's a binary star as well, and I'm not sure how how easily this one is uh, to split. Um, but the secondary star is like about 10.7 uh, magnitude, and it's in orbit. Uh, it takes about four decades for it to go around. Uh, so Procyon itself is is uh, 1.4 times the sun's mass, which I think just makes it about the right size that if it went supernova, it would actually explode, but it's just right at that uh, limit more or less. So uh, it's only about 
uh, just under 12 uh, light years from us. So it also is pretty close, just like, uh, just like Cirrus is. Yeah. So I'm just reading a little bit here about this sure. system. So Procyon B is even more difficult to observe than Sirius B uh, because the magnitude difference is greater. So it's actually 15,000 times fainter than Procyon A. And uh, the separation is like 4.3 arc seconds. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Chris estimated that Sirius B was about 10 arc seconds. So, you know, not only is this much, much closer, um, but yeah, the the brightness difference, uh, that would be, this is truly a bucket list observation if it's even possible. Yeah. And I think you'd probably want to be, uh, under, under pretty good, uh, pretty good skies there to see it. So mm -hmm. th mm -hmm. that's kind of all I put in my notes for Canis minoris or Canis minor. Do you have anything else to add to that one? Uh, time to move on. There's no time to move to on. <laughs> we'll go to, go to Columba. And, and the reason I, I, I put Columba on here now, again, I sort of had that lesser known constellations mm -hmm. ringing through my head, although Canis Major is, is sort of a, a main constellation, something people may have, may have heard of, and certainly with Cirrus there, it's the brightest star in the sky. So that, that's a great pointer to start from. But once you get into like Canis Minor and then Columba, like most people that are just getting into astronomy are never going to have heard of Columba before. Um, but the stars are like reasonably bright enough, like even from a dark site here in Saskatchewan, even though they're right on the horizon, uh, you can actually make them. It doesn't really look like a dove. It just kind of looks like a triangle with a bunch of other stars sitting, sitting on top. Um, so Columba is Latin for the dove. Uh, and it's basically uh, just south of Canis Major and Lepus. So Lepus is directly below uh, Orion. And then... Um, sort of just to the left or just to the east of that is Canis Major. And Canis Major is, is sort of a tall constellation where Lepus uh, doesn't occupy as much vertical space. And, uh, and then Columbus kind of is sort of right below and, and just to, to the west of, uh, of Canis Major. So that's where it is. Um, but there's some interesting things. There's like an old, and I've spent some time observing it. There's like an old um, asterism in there. And that's going in my in my works that I'm slowly, slowly working on. But uh, Columba was created by the Dutch astronomer Petrius Plantius. And Petrius Plantius, by the way, I think is like Mike's favorite uh, sort of antiquarian astronomer. Uh, he's hmm. sort of a, an interesting character. And in uh, 1592, um, he created this constellation, differentiated um, from Canis, Canis Major. And he depicted it as, as this dove. And then uh, it's also shown on uh, some, some of the Dutch celestial globes starting in uh, 1594. And then uh, it was really popularized uh, when, it, when it landed on uh, Bayer's Uranometria 1603. And then, uh, then it had one of those Uranium mirror cards and, and some of the other uh, popular uh, astronomy uh, you know, works that were, that were being done in the day. But it's got this beautiful globular cluster I've seen this from, uh, from the Southern Hemisphere, or not Southern Hemisphere, from very far south, um, which is 1851. It's a globular cluster. Uh, and then like, it's, it's pretty rich. Like you can see in this, in this image, and one of the images uh, we have on the screen is from the IAU Sky and Telescope International Astronomical Union. If you go to the IAU.org website, you can actually go on there and see, uh, they have all the constellations um, 
depicted in sky charts and you can download those uh, in PDF for free and images as well. It's a really great resource. But Jane, you can see there, um, particularly on the, on the left or on the Eastern side of Columba, you, you can see that there's a lot of rich uh, star fields uh, in that region. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a lot of prominent stars there. Yeah, and there I, I have a image of uh, 1851 for you there. And you can actually see in, in this that it kind of extends a little bit below uh, can excuse me, Candace Major, Columba does as a constellation, but it does just sort of barely clear the horizon here um, mm -hmm. at this time of year, just as it's dark. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, a, a good constellation for folks living further south. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But just, just north of there, between uh, sort of sandwiched between uh, Columba the Dove and Canis Major and, and sort of occupying the space just below uh, Orion, we have another constellation. And if you don't have anything left to add about Columba, do you want to introduce us to, uh, well, do you want to hop to it? Let's hop to Lepis the Hare. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just south of the celestial equator, uh, immediately below Orion. And, um, you know, the, the hair is what Lepis translates to from Latin. Um, although the hair does not represent any particular figure in Greek mythology, uh, Lepis was one of the 48 constellations listed by the second century astronomer Ptolemy. Um, and it remains one of the 88 modern constellations. Um, so it's sometimes uh, represented as a hare being chased by Orion or alternatively by Orion's hunting dogs. So Canis Major, Canis Minor. Um, and this constellation should not be confused with uh, Lupus, Lupus? Yeah, Lupus, uh, which Lupus is the wolf. The wolf. Yeah. 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 Which is, you know, where that is. It's, you can't really see it from here. It's between, uh, I, I think it's between Scorpius and Centaurus. So it's just west of Scorpius. So it's, uh, it's a little ways, uh, you know, along from here as, as far as the year goes. You would, you would see uh, Lupus in the uh, early part of the uh, summer, very late spring. In the morning mm. sky. Yep. All right. So a little bit of mythology here about this. Do you want me to uh, carry on? Yeah, sure. All right. So uh, Lepus is, uh, as you said, represented as uh, a rabbit being chased by, by the hunting dogs. And uh, it's also uh, included as the moon rabbit. So if, if you look up, you can see like there's uh, the rabbit in the moon. And I think that's more visible from the Southern hemisphere, but it's, it also has some sort of association uh, with that. There's sort of these four major stars, uh, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, um, and Iota, Lepus. And they, they form like this really uh, unique quadrilateral right below um, the constellation uh, of Orion. And uh, I'm not going to get into this, but in Arabic, they were seen as the uh, camels quenching their thirst. Hmm. So I got a deep sky map up here because I'm going to point this out that another globular cluster in this area is M79. And this one is always like the bane of, of uh, the Messier uh, observer's existence because I've run into more than one observer who has observed all the Messiers and they were trying to get it done in a year. And then they had missed M79 um, when they were they were starting their observations. Like they might have started like in in late winter, and so they're able to get everything. And then they realize come uh, 
you know, uh, you know, six or eight months later and uh, th that they've missed M79 and they have to wait uh, until uh, until at least a few months to get it in the morning sky or if they want to see it in the evening sky, they have to they have to wait until uh, until the midwinter uh, time period because it's fairly far south, even though it's pretty bright, uh, just eighth magnitude and about 42,000 light years from Earth. It's one of the few globular clusters that's visible uh, in the Northern Hemisphere winter. I don't know if you ever thought about that before, but we don't actually see too many globular clusters. Like the only ones that we see are like this one. And then the ones that are further south in uh, uh, down there, that one in Columbia, 1851. And then there's, I think there's some pretty faint ones. Like, you know, I guess you count the ones up in Andromeda or something like that, but um, there's, there's nothing uh, too bright there. Anyway, um, it's often described, M79 is often described as having a, uh, a starfish shape. And it was discovered by Pierre Michin in uh, 1780 hmm. so moving along to the uh we're kind of we're kind of moving in sort of a strange direction but now we're going to move towards the west so the, the sort of the method to to this meander that that we're on is that we're trying to start from a place that people know which is orion and take them to a place um that if they don't know it should be fairly easy which is canis major and then Canis Minor, like these should be constellations people uh, are already familiar with or can become familiar with uh, fairly quickly. And then by moving across to Columbus and, and Lepus, we're kind of treading into some of these lesser known constellations. But then we have this giant river called Eridanus. And this is um, the sixth largest constellation in the sky. Uh, but it's sort of one of those, one of those constellations, Shane, like, like if you took me out, under a dark sky and sort of took my blindfold off, so to speak, and kind of traced out a constellation with your laser point and said, what constellation is this? Or can you connect with the dots? Probably would be better for this constellation. Uh, I would say I cannot do that. <laughs> I could not trace out the pattern for Eridanus. It's, it really is just this random uh, line uh, that that's cutting through the space between uh, basically the autumn sky and Orion. Um, and to make matters a little bit more challenging from where we are, I think we only see about half or, or maybe two thirds of, of the constellation because we lose the brightest star in Eridanus, which is well worth looking at. But Eridanus is the river and it actually starts more or less just to the west of Orion and the bright star Rigel in Orion kind of, if you just go just to the west of Rigel or just to the right of Rigel in the bottom of Orion, that's kind of about where the river starts. And then it kind of stretches way to the west and then kind of cuts back to the east and then kind of meanders down. You gotta be, you gotta be down there. Like when I went to Florida and had some, had some good nights, um, this is about five years ago. Uh, one of the things I wanted to see, I just wanted to trace out Eridanus because I'd never seen the full uh, constellation and I think I think I did but I think even from southern Florida it was uh, I, I was just barely able to trace out the entire constellation it goes really far really far to the south mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, just just a point of clarification you said it's uh, west of Orion to the right so it's uh, it's it's east of Orion oh no 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 my bad 
my bad. <laughs> yeah, I was getting really confused. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. Uh, no I was thinking of. I was thinking of a map as opposed to the skies. So, anyway. I know, and it can be. It can be a little bit confusing there. But yeah, if you look at Rigel and you go to the right, and that will be west. That mm-hmm. will. That will be where where people can start. So I kind of have given both. Like it's to to the right of of Rigel, and I always yes. do that because. Hundred percent, I do get those mixed up, and I and I learned through teaching my astronomy classes that I will give like that hand direction. You are looking up at Orion, <laughs> you're going right in case I get like the east west uh, mixed up, and I've been so guilty of that in the past. I can't even begin to talk about that. So there's this really bright star there called Akronar. Have you ever seen this star? Ooh, I don't think so. At least not through optics. I haven't. Yeah, you can't see it from Saskatchewan. It's way below our horizon by okay. A, a, okay. several degrees anyway. Um, but when I went to Florida and was on Sanibel, I, I wanted the, one of the things I wanted to do when I was there was see this star. And I was able to see it. Um, and it's this beautiful star. It's this beautiful sort of bluish color star, even to the eye. And, and you know, you can kind of look up way up into the left, uh, sort of to the northeast. And that's going to be uh, Sirius way up there, or Sirius. And it's this really bright, beautiful blue star. But this one is just a little bit fainter. It's, it's a fairly bright star. And uh, it's called Alpha Eridanus or Akinar. And it's the brightest star in, uh, in basically uh, lying at the southern tip of Eridanus. So, you know, you, you can see it from, from sort of southern Florida, but yeah, it's, it's even getting fairly far down. And it's also got two components. So, you know, it wasn't sort of designed to be like this tour of really bright double stars, but here we have, we talked about um, the double star of Cirrus and we talked about the double star of Procyon. And now we're talking about the double star of Alpha Eridani or Akinar. Uh, and anyway, it was determined by the Hipparchus satellite. And this was back, I think about 20 years ago, that it's only about 140 light years away or 43 parsecs from the sun. Do you have anything else to add on Akinar or Eridanus? No, no, I was just looking up um, uh, Akinar's um, uh, details about observing the companion, but um, yeah, nope, nothing else to add. Yeah, I wonder, I, yeah, I'm not sure how, how easy that one would be or not. There are um, quite a few exoplanets in the area. So I think it's, I think Eridanus is like one of those areas where they found a lot of the uh, Jupiter mass planets uh, orbiting uh, different stars. One of them is Epsilon Eridani. So if you're looking for a star that has uh, an exoplanet, it's got a Jupiter with a ring around it, apparently. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, sometimes this region, yeah, it is sometimes this region is called the super void. Um, not only because uh, it, it's an area, you know, that we, we can see, we're actually looking out from uh, our Milky Way and there's not many galaxies uh, in that area. Um, but also like as well, it, it's kind of fitting because it's the area between Cetus and Orion, which uh, really doesn't seem to have much in it. You know, it kind of seems like when Cetus passes through the sky, it's like, well, that's it for a while, you know. We can see Orion on the horizon, but what is in that sort of intermediary zone? Anyway, and that that's Eridanus, but these stars are, are fairly faint. Lots of sort of uh, fourth and, and fifth and sixth magnitude stars in the area of the sky. But um, it was it was discovered as like a cold spot in the microwave background radiation using the uh, U.S. National Radio uh, Astronomical Observatory Very Large Array. 
Um, so it's kind of interesting that sort of astronomically speaking as well, often we think, well, or say there's not much in that area of the sky. And then you look at a Hubble space photograph and there's, you know, dozens and dozens or mm-hmm. thousands of galaxies or nebula or something there. Um, but Eridanus is not like that. Hmm. There's some mythology around it. Not really going to get too much into the mythology. I'm really not a, a sort of somebody that knows as much about the uh, the mythology. But there's there's a business of um, of a you know of a lightning bolt and Zeus and and all this other stuff. And uh, I'm not going to get too far into that. But there are some interests. There's a few galaxies up there. But you know that Witch Head Nebula, which is just oh. to the right of Rigel. Now, uh, although Rigel, I think, is illuminating the witch head, um, that is actually just over the border in Eridanus. So if you're ever looking at or you Google the witch head nebula um, and you can find out where that that is. Now, that nebula is super difficult to see. I kind of think I sort of saw it once, but uh, it is very, very difficult nebulosity to see. Have you ever seen it? No, no, just in photographs, never visually through a telescope. Mm. And so that one actually is in Eridana. So uh, pretty famous nebula, but uh, most people kind of associate it closer with, with Orion, even though it's, uh, it's just over the border. Now, it, unless you have anything else to add about Eridana, super void. No, no. There's, <laughs> you know, and, and part of it, uh, you know, my guilty admission here is some of this stuff that extends into the Southern Hemisphere. I just, I don't know a lot about them because I don't spend time in them. You know, we just don't have an opportunity to see um, some of those constellations from here. So, um, you know, just uh, out of kind of practicality, uh, I've never, never really learned much about them, to be honest. So. So one of the very first things I ever had published in writing about uh, astronomy, this is about a dozen or so years ago now, maybe more, um, was on Eridanus. And I, I think this is how I kind of get into writing for doing some writing for astronomy and actually getting it in some books and stuff was uh, that most people haven't bothered looking at it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's actually something called the Eridanus Arc. And it's a faint nebula. So I, I don't have this in the notes or anything because, you know, these, these notes are really meant for my class and I don't, don't get into this too much. But uh, the Eridanus arc is kind of like a, a companion portion to the Orion giant molecular cloud. And it actually will extend up and it loops through Taurus and then back down through Eridanus. And this is exceptionally faint um, material uh, nebulosity it sort of overlays these faint stars of Eridanus. And so um, in order to find the brightest section, it takes uh, a great deal of work and you're kind of star hopping uh, using binoculars. Cause I think, think most of the stars are like fourth to seventh magnitude. Um, and you really kind of want to get them nailed to figure out exactly the, the right section of sky to, to look at. And you need a, a pretty good wide field, small telescope with, uh, with a hydrogen beta filter. But uh, anyway, I won't talk too much about that, but, uh, but there is a giant nebula in there that, that people can see, um, but you need exceptionally dark skies uh, in, order, in order to see it. So I've seen it here from Saskatchewan too. I did hunt it down and I showed it to Mike one night after, after I moved here and he was kind of surprised to, uh, to see this giant nebula up there in Eridanus. Most people have never seen this thing. So Oh, yeah, just, very interesting. Just one of those things. Um, so moving along to Monoceros, Shane, 
What what is a monoceros? Is that like a rhinoceros? <laughs> well, kind of, but with one horn. Uh, mm. So think of a unicorn. And um, what's kind of neat about that uh, that name is monoceros as a constellation is pretty faint, and mm-hmm. you know many people probably have never seen it and. Much like a unicorn, maybe doubt uh, that it even exists. <laughs> and I, I love and so monoceros out of kind of out of all these constellations and out of all sort of the lesser known constellations in the nighttime sky. I think monoceros is my favorite. Hmm. Why is that? Because it's got all kinds of great things to look at in it. Um, in particular, I really like the Rosette Nebula. Um, otherwise known as NGC 2244, although I, I think that's the name, but there's, there's like several NGC components to it. And, um, that nebula has a cluster in the middle. And I find like from the city, I can see the cluster pretty easy. And then the nebula itself is, isn't too difficult once, uh, once I get out of the city by even just 15 or 20 minutes, um, from any of the sites in the fields, I, I can just set up a telescope and even to the unaided eye, uh, I've been, I think I've been able to see the Rosette Nebula and you can find it really easy. You, you find it by using uh, Betelgeuse, which is the top left star, the North Eastern star in Orion, the really bright orange star there that was pulsating last year and then, uh, or dimming last year, I should say. And then you come off the head of Orion and they, they don't quite point at it, but they do point to a star that's nearby. So if you kind of, kind of sweep just above that line of the, uh, of the head of Orion and Betelgeuse, and you sweep down and to the left um, into Monoceros, you will, you will come across uh, that, that sort of uh, rosette uh, bit. But yeah, all the stars in there, they're, they're like fourth-ish magnitude at best. And many mm-hmm. of them are even fainter, but there's, there's lots of other uh, nebulas in there, but it was Petrius Plancius again, who, uh, who came up with this and he's, he's somebody we could, and I, I did, I have a talk somewhere on him. We could do a presentation on him sometime. I actually uh, made up a talk because he was this Dutch uh, cartographer and uh, he was working with some other um, travelers uh, of the world. Uh, and other observers who, who were traveling around and some of them went through extreme hardship and submitted their, there was one person I remember, I can't remember who it was exactly, submitted their observations and then died uh, because it was so difficult uh, what, they were, what they were trying to do. Um, but anyway, um, this, this whole region kind of sits right in the heart, right in the middle of the winter circle. So it sits just to the east, just to the left of Orion um, Canis major or sorry, Canis minor just sort of sits over top of it and, and Canis major just below it. Actually, if you, if you drew a line between Procyon and, uh, and Cirrus, well, right, right in the mm-hmm. middle, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's Monoceros. Yeah. 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 It, it is really a pretty rich area of the sky. You know, when you, when you look at it and see all of the various nebulas and, and clusters around there and, you know, the Rosette Nebula too is, is quite large. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of neat. Like if you look on a star chart or, uh, you know, some software, oh, the Orion Nebula is huge. And, you know, if you compare the size of, of these two, like Rosette is, is quite a bit larger. And I'd be remiss if I, I didn't mention this, but there was an individual attending my, my class recently. Uh, actually, there was two people. Uh, 
So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention there was two people and they had each taken these amazing photos of the rosette. Um, mm. Just astounding. And they both, they both consider themselves to be sort of kind of, and, and I'm not, I'm not making any judgment. I think the photos were amazing, but I think they kind of consider themselves to be sort of uh, like, you know, very, very much uh, rank amateurs when it comes to, to doing this, but those photos just were astounding. So uh, I don't, I don't know if this is like one of those objects where people are getting interested in, uh, in photography um, that they could start with as, uh, as better candidates for success. But these, these two individuals had just taken stunning, stunning photos uh, of the rosette. I should get permission and see if we can uh, tweet those out. But do you ever take a look at uh, Messier 50? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, many, many years ago, again, like when I was, uh, completing my Messier certificate, um, I observed it. Where do you have that certificate now? Uh, it's in an envelope somewhere in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, it's somewhere. You don't have it on like your office wall right in front of you that you're like staring at while we do these podcasts. <laughs> no, no, I, um, I was going to hang it in my office instead of like, you know, people that like to wallpaper their walls with certifications and diplomas and degrees. And I thought it'd be kind of funny if I just had a Messier certificate uh, instead of all of that other stuff. <laughs> so, Something that really matters. Yeah. Something yeah, I actually exactly. put work into. Yeah. 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 So um, but, Messier 50, this is just a, uh, a bright open cluster there in the bottom of, uh, of Monoceros there just on the border with uh, Canis Major. It's kind of heart-shaped. I don't think I ever, ever mm. saw the heart shape. Either. No, no. When people describe like you, with, with some objects, particularly I think with clusters, I sometimes struggle to see like when they, when people talk about seeing shapes within the clusters, um, mm. other than like the coat hanger and a few that really stand out and and like you said, the coat hanger isn't even really a, a true association of you know stars. It's not really a cluster, but um, very few of them. I, I see the shape that others report. Yeah, yeah. Kind of hopping back to the rosette for a second. Should should have mentioned uh, a little bit more about that. But uh, yeah, the open cluster is NGC twenty two forty four, and then there's this huge wreath. Uh, of nebulosity around it. I forget how many moons will fit across, but it's, I think it's like four or five moons, maybe six moons that would fit across. So it's, wow. it's like a few degrees across it's yeah, it's really large. So it's uh, it's definitely uh, a great object for small telescopes. Cause you don't need to use a lot of magnification on it. And mm. uh, I actually find it best to use like a, like a very broadband nebula filter, use just one of those sky glow filters on it. Uh, works, works really good. Um, it was discovered in the 1880s. So really in a way, not, not that, that long ago, uh, discovered by, uh, Lewis Swift, a lot of comets named after that. And then, um, E.E. E. Barnard, uh, sort of, you know, uh, co-discovered it or, or did some photographs of it, uh, in 1883. Um, they were both kind of looking for comets, uh, at the time. I, I put this shot up cause I think this, this is going to just, just kind of have a, have a display here with Shane showing, um, what it looks like sort of through a telescope, like a sketch. And you can kind of get this sort of ghostly, uh, ghostly look at it. But do you ever, do you ever look at the Christmas tree and the cone nebula? I've never really had much success at hunting these ones down. No, no, I've never seen them. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know, I haven't really attempted them all that much either. Um, you know, winter observing from here, 
I just don't get a lot of it in. And when I do observe in the winter, I usually go to um, objects that I think I have a greater chance of actually seeing. And this is a tough one. Yeah. You know, I was, I was looking and of, of course, we're not able to go across the border these days, but there, there was one day recently where it was bitterly cold here. And I was looking down in Montana about maybe like an eight hour drive from here. And it was minus 20 here that day. It was minus two in that location. I was wow. thinking, Ooh, boy. And I think that the nighttime low was going to be like minus six. And I was thinking, Shane, you and I could probably camp in those conditions. We camp down to about minus five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'd probably mm-hmm. be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was thinking, oh, wow, that would be amazing to do sometime once we get uh, this pandemic behind us. Yes. So the last thing uh, we're going to talk about is the Hubble Variable Nebula. Have you ever seen Hubble's Variable Nebula? Mm, have you shown it to me? No, I, I've never found it on my own. Um, but yeah, if you haven't shown it to me, then no. I've I've looked at it through uh, large telescopes, but uh, like twelve, uh, my friend Clark uh, hunted it down a twelve-inch once. Probably is, mm. that was my best view of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like the problem with some of these variable nebulas, and there's a few up there in the sky. Hubble's variable is, is the most prominent one, and it's illuminated by our Manasit Serat. I'm going to have trouble saying the uh, Latinized version, plural, our Manaserotis. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> and, sounds right. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, but it varies. And so you almost have to observe it like over time. So when we were, the two times I've tried to observe it, the, the best time was through the 12 inch when, uh, when it was sort of brightening up. But I'd almost want to see it like go through a cycle in order to to see that uh, that I'd actually uh, observed it. But uh, anyway, it, it's it, it's a tough tough thing to observe. So I think uh, on that note, we'll we'll end it there. Uh, a deep sky tour of some of the lesser known constellations, unless you have anything uh, more illuminating to add to this uh, <laughs> this tour. Um, nothing regarding the tour. Uh, but just a reminder that we did launch a, a website, actualastronomy.com. Uh, we do post occasional show notes um, or references that help support the episodes so that, you know, if you're wondering what was that website or, or you know, what was the object referred to in whatever constellation, uh, we'll put that stuff up on the website. So, for example, we'll try to get something up on these show notes or, or some show notes regarding this episode. Uh, so check it out. And if you want, um, you can sign up to be notified whenever we post something new. Um, and then that way you don't have to go back, you know, to keep checking to see if we actually did post something. Uh, we don't do anything with the email addresses. I don't even know if we can see them to be honest. I don't know. Um, I've never looked. Yeah. I've never looked. I just, uh, uh, when, when we set up the website, this was part of the kind of initial template thought mm, this is kind of handy so we left it there but anyway just uh just a fyi or reminder that the website is there check it out if you're interested yeah that's good actually so what i'm doing right now is in the, in the chat window i'm sending you some links for the skymaps.org and the iau constellation uh website and uh yeah yeah if you can put those up in in the show notes for the episode even just in the in the title link would be awesome shane yeah for sure all right thanks so much thank you Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, 
Or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.